Well, good morning, everybody. It's really, really nice to be with you. I've, I've been to this church many times. I've never actually been here on a Sunday. I've been here for meetings, and I've, I've known your team, many of them, for, for years and years and years. So I feel like I'm amongst friends. It's great to actually come and see um, the heart of a church. I think when you're, when you're trying to get to know a church, you only really know it when you come uh, and join them on a Sunday and see their worship. So it's fantastic to be here. Um, I was here last month for the Books for Life thing, which was great. And um, I know that you've got some amazing events coming up. I really want to commend to you the third person weekend that you're coming up in January as well. Because that's so important to us in New Wine that, that we know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that the Spirit of, of God is at, uh, on the move in the nation. There's really exciting things going on. I don't know what you were doing on um, Tuesday night. Just think yourself back to Tuesday earlier this week. Um, we were obviously, all of us, we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's that day when we, uh, we dress our children up as Luther, put on little beards and, you know, John Calvin, Wycliffe, whoever your favorite reformer is. And then we, we send them out around the neighborhood to, to nail demands for sweets to the doors of the neighbors. And, uh, we, you know, we enjoy a little bit of fun because we remember something amazing that God did 500 years ago. And actually, I think if we didn't do that, we probably should have done, because it is an amazing thing. 500 years ago, God moved in the heart of one man, and uh, others had been called before him, others came after him, but it was something of the Spirit of God. And what happened during that season was that God brought reformation to the church. And reformation is something that we always need, because the church is always drifting off from what it should be. You know, we, we need to be reformed. You know, we're bent out of the shape that we should be in. We're no longer fit for purpose. So God reforms and, and reshapes us, and he also renews, which means he returns us back to our original designed, created intent. And he revives, which means he gives life back to us. Because we, we so often find as we walk in our Christian lives that we get a bit deadened and we lose the edge that God has given us. So God reforms, he renews, he revives, and he does it because church matters. Now, I actually think that it's not just 500 years that God has been reforming. I think God's always reforming. 500 years ago, he put the Bible back into the hands of ordinary people. But I passionately believe that in the last 100 years, God has started to put the ministry of the Holy Spirit back into the hands of ordinary people. That, that we moved um, from a season where, where the power of God was known only by a few special saints who could perform the miracles to a season where the Spirit of God was once again being poured out on all flesh and the church recaptured the truth that ordinary men and women can carry the power of the kingdom of God into the places where they live and work. So reformation is really, really important to me. And I, I believe that it's something God does because the church matters. And the reason the church matters is because the, the end result of God's heart is people. You know, if you look at the bottom line, what does God really care about? Well, we know that. God so loved the world, he sent his only son to die for us. For people. So that people wouldn't be lost. He cares for, for the people that you and I spend our lives amongst. And he cares for the way in which society is organized. He cares for the places where we live and the institutions that we serve in. God cares. Because church matters, because church then is the, the primary vehicle through which God works in the world. He works through his people. 
So he's always reforming us. He's drawing us back to his word so that we can be reshaped and he's drawing us back again to the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can carry his power and his presence into those places. Now, for the last two months, you have been looking at one verse of the Old Testament. This is slightly intimidating for a visiting speaker. (laughs) But I think I'm week seven, at least, of this series you've been in on Micah 6, verse 8. But it's a great verse. It's one of, for us, probably one of the best loved and most well-known verses of the Old Testament. But it wasn't always that way. It's not a verse that is quoted in the New Testament at all. It's also a verse that the early church hardly talked about. For, for the first four or five hundred years of the church's life, the early church fathers were writing their theologies and their letters and their encouragements and their essays, and there are only three references to that verse in four or five hundred years of writing that we still have. And yet today, it's probably one of the best-known verses. It's a, it's a verse that often people camp out upon. So what's happened? You know, are we majoring on something that actually isn't that important? Well, I would say probably not, because I think the thing about that verse is that it really, really lines up with the character of Jesus. If you look at Jesus and the way that he has revealed God to us through the Gospels and the ministry that he had there, you definitely say Jesus is somebody who lived out that verse. The way that he acted, the way that he loved mercy, the way that he walked with his God, definitely lines up with Jesus. And so my conclusion is that the reason this verse has come to prominence is because the Holy Spirit is once again saying to his church, this is a now verse for this generation. This is what I want you to be doing. It's part of the Spirit of God renewing God's people for what he wants us to do. And so Micah 6a, I think, is part of a big, big drive the Spirit of God has to turn us outwards towards the world again. And you probably, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably seen the Spirit of God doing that. In maybe the 50s and 60s, the Spirit of God was renewing the ministry of healing to the church. And then we started to take the ministry of healing out onto the streets through healing on the streets. And now, actually, Christians often are feeling empowered just to pray for someone that they meet into the aisle in Tesco's or they bump into on the bus or they sit together in the office. Ministry is going out all the time. It's happening with prophecy. In the 70s and 80s, the Lord began to stir up the prophetic and restore it to the church. And now we do treasure hunting. We do prophecy on the streets. And now the Spirit of God is saying to Christians, why don't you just listen for what I want to say to the person you're next to on the bus? Be bold and give them a word. You know, the Spirit of God's turning us outward all the time. The ministries of the church are not just to suck people into the church now. They're actually to empower the church to go and bring the kingdom of God in the world. And I've seen that in some of the things that as a church leader I've been involved in. I'm going to tell you a little story about something called Project Malachi. Um, Project Malachi has its name because there was a little boy called Malachi who wrote a letter. And uh, I think we've got an image of it on the screen. So this is the letter he wrote. He got five pounds from the tooth fairy. Uh, Seriously, London prices. Um, (laughs) My kids did not get five pounds from the tooth fairy. But Malachi got five pounds for the tooth fairy. And he wrote this letter and he sent it to the local Salvation Army. Uh, I work in, in Redbridge, which is um, East London, outer London borough, um, majority Asian in many parts of the borough. And um, we got a lot of social issues in some parts. And uh, the Salvation Army are a fantastic group that we work really closely with. And Malachi sent them five pounds. And he said, with this five pounds, I would like you to buy a house. 
Okay, now he was a little hazy on London prices again. Okay, both him and his parents didn't quite understand how that works. Um, but the local Salvation Army captain is a great guy called John Clifton. He's just got this little nudge from God. And actually, if, if somebody has a heart to buy a house and he's willing to sow into it, what could God do if we all kind of caught that vision? So suddenly, a number of started to talk, and the vision of ending homelessness in Redbridge was birthed. What would it look like if we could take all the homeless people off the streets of Redbridge, all the rough sleepers, all the long-termers, and we could give them a home? How would we get them out of the trap that they're in? Because I know if you know the benefit system, often people can't get work because they, uh, you know, they, they don't have access to work. They can't get benefits because they don't have an address. And so we've got all these upstream issues. So we, we thought, if we could give them an address and some work, even temporarily, then it would catapult them into the benefit system and it would get them uh, out of some of those long-term problems into some long-term solutions. And this is the, the vision of a pop-up hostel. Let's just buy some porter cabins. So this is the, uh, the picture will show you the type of accommodation it is. You just buy porter cabin units. So we, we're buying porter cabin units for 66 beds, for a bicycle repair shop, so some of our long-term rough sleepers can have a place to go where they have a permanent address and work, which will get them into the benefit system, which will enable them to come off uh, benefits and a long-term solution. We could end homelessness in Redbridge. Council have said, great, you can have the land, we'll charge you one pound a year. Salvation Army have put a million pounds in, we're raising the rest of the money locally, and the coalition of church leaders is fascinating. This is a picture of just a few of us at the heart of it. And one of the reasons why we're involving the Sikhs is because in our area, the majority of rough sleepers are Punjabi men. And they've got a great ministry, a great ministry of hospitality in the Sikh tradition. And I think this is something the Spirit of God is stirring us up to do. I, I, I can't remember a project like this, but I believe that the Spirit of God now is giving prophetically solutions to long-term problems and the church is taking a lead and then the church is building coalitions both with other faiths, with other communities, with councils and we're seeing the kingdom of God come. Wouldn't that be a great vision? For homelessness to be ended in Redbridge and out of London Borough. Well, it's actually coming towards a reality. And I think it's based out of the heart of the Spirit who's speaking to us out of these verses in Micah 6. I'm just going to read them. I know they're very familiar. We've read them already, but to read a little bit more of the context. So Micah 6, 6. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn them on or turn to them. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He's shown you, mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I think what you've been doing in your series so far is you've been looking at that verse in the light of what it tells us about who God is. You've been looking at what it tells us about who we are. And I believe that the, the shift that we're starting to make is to think about the outworking of that verse. What therefore does the ministry and mission of the church look like? 
And so as I prayed it over, I thought, you know, I really want to come and talk to you today, not about justice, not about mercy, not about humility so much. Actually, I want to talk to you today about those verbs. Because I think it's the verbs in the Christian life often that really make the difference. It's not what we believe, it's what we choose to go and do as a result of what we believe. So we're going to look at act, love, and walk. Because I think that gives us the shape of kingdom people. This is what we're meant to do, this is how we're meant to do it, and who we're meant to do it with. So we're to act. I found an amazing letter um, that came to my attention through Simon Gilbo, who's a great new wine guy and mission partner in uh, Burundi. Amazing, amazing man of God. But he wrote this. One day a homeless lady approached a vicar who was visibly flustered and stressed. She needed help, but he was simply too busy, so he promised to pray for her, and then he carried on on his way. And that lady wrote the following poem and gave it into the local shelter. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities group to discuss my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached a sermon on the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I am still very hungry, and lonely, and cold. Now, I don't know how you make, that makes you feel. I, I find that incredibly challenging and actually quite overwhelming. But it, it just reminds us that in our complacency, we need sometimes to be challenged. We need to be shaken up. Spirit of God is turning us outward to a world that's in great need. And the love of God is, is, is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. The love of God is practical. God so loved that he gave. You know, it's, it's sacrificial. It's, it makes a difference. And we always say, don't we, that, that our, our relationship with God has to affect the relationships we have with each other and with the wider world. Jesus said that you want to know the heart of it all? If you boil it all down. He didn't say, if you boil it all down, you just need to love God. No, he said, if you boil it all down, you need to love God with all that you have and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. That Christianity is incomplete without that horizontal expression. You have to have an, out, an outworking, an overflow of your encounter with God. So what does God require? Well, God requires that as his people, we do something. He requires that in some way we make a difference. And that's the message through Micah. Micah says extravagant worship is incomplete without justice and mercy. So the worship he, he talks about is of thousands of sacrifices, even if God would require it, which he does never. Even the sacrifice of your firstborn, it's not about religious extremism. It's about an embrace of a heart that glorifies God and a lifestyle that expresses God to the wider world. You know, in, in the early days of the Pentecostal revival, there was a really famous prophecy that was given that, that in the last days, the great movement of the Spirit of God would fall into trouble. And uh, it said it will fall into trouble because there will be an overemphasis on a number of things. See, firstly, there will be an overemphasis on power 
rather than righteousness. Secondly, there'll be an overemphasis on spiritual gifts rather than the lordship of Christ. And thirdly, there will be an overemphasis on praise because people will sing to a God to whom they no longer pray. Worship will become an experience, a concert. Worship will become something that you come and you enjoy and, and it's feeding to you, but it makes no difference to how you live. It, it will be divorced from relationship and implication and from transformation that actually affects how you then go and live your life afterwards. I find that incredibly challenging, don't you? Because I love worship. And I love to go to places where there is great worship. And I've got to remember that worship always leads to service. It's always an outworking. One of the reasons why I, I love new wine is not because it's a conference with great worship, great teaching, great kids work. It's because it's the vision of new wine is that the local church then changes the nation. So we don't come together for a conference. We come together because we are local churches. And what we do is as we come together, uh, we experience the power of the kingdom of God and the people of God are reminded again that they carry that power out to the world. So what really matters to us is not the two weeks or so when we gather. What matters to us is the 50 weeks when we pour it back out again. And when we come together, what we do is we celebrate what God has done and we tell the stories and we learn from each other of what the Spirit of God is doing in context across the nation. And we're inspired again and we're equipped and we press into God and then we pour out. We scatter and we go again. I kind of think, you know, for me, New Wine is meant to be the halftime team talk for the Kingdom of God year. You know, you've done the first half and, you know, might have gone well, might not have gone well. We come together and the coach sits down and says, guys, this is, let's just remember what it's all about. This is what we're going to do in the second half. You know, here's your spiritual orange. Suck on that for a bit. And now we're going to go out and we're going to the second half. We're going to go and get it right. We're going to go again in the power of the spirit. That's what it's, that's what it's about. It's, a, it's not a conference. It's the gathering. That's why we call it United. Somebody said to me, you know, oh, is, is United going to be your theme again this year? And I said, no, no, no. No, you got it wrong. United is its name. United is the name of that time when we gather. Because that's who we are. We're gathering together. We're united. And actually, we're expressing something that we think is real throughout the year. We've got to do something. Uh, I went to a church once. And uh, as you left the church, the sign over the door said, the worship has ended, the service begins. Now, I know that what we do out there is worship as well. But I also know what that's saying. It's not about a time when we gather. It's this encounter with God has an overflow as we go out. So act. The second, love. Worship fuels passion. Worship fuels passion and you cannot change the world without passion. It would be so easy, wouldn't it, for this to read, act justly and act mercifully and walk with God. It would still mean the same thing, wouldn't it? You know, you've got to be merciful. But I think it's really significant that it says, act justly and love mercy. Love it. And it's mercy. The end result of this is people. And you, you cannot 
treat people as projects. You can't make it abstract. You can't, you, know, you can't kind of make it a cold, logical, clinical thing. You have to love mercy. You've got to pour your heart into this because people matter. Love, mercy, passion changes the world. And I, I think what happens when we come and we worship God is he, he restores our passion. We have to care for people because God does. Now, I know last week... Um, I did check out just to make sure I wasn't going to you know, be too far off what you were doing, but I listened to Gareth's talk from last Sunday. It was great. And he was talking about the Beatitudes. And it's really interesting to me that you have this Beatitude about the blessings that come onto the people of God. And then the very next verse is, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You're the salt and you're the light and you let that shine out. See, kingdom people are going to be change agents. Kingdom people are going to make a difference. If we are these people, then we are going to be commissioned to have impact. And you might think, well, not many of us. You know, I don't know that we can kind of address the social ills of our world. It's a big world. I mean, I'm not even sure we can do much about Cheltenham. It's just overwhelming. Well, I love the way Jesus consistently throughout the Gospels, when he talks about Kingdom people or the kingdom of God, he consistently uses images of smallness. You notice that? You know, when Jesus says a light, what he means is a candle. Talks about salt. You don't use much of that when you cook, hopefully. Talks about seeds. Pretty small. Talks about yeast. You can't even see it. He uses images of smallness and hiddenness, and he says that's the way the kingdom of God works. That's the way the people of God work in the world. May not be many of us, but we make a massive difference because of who we are. And the final thing, we, we're to act, we're to love. And the final thing, it says we're to walk. Uh, really, I think the point is we're to walk with. It's not us walking alone, it's walk humbly with your God. See, the thing that makes the big difference in all of this is God. It's not social work, that's not what we're called to. Social work's great. But Christian kingdom people are not social workers. It's more than that. You remember when Jesus describes his own ministry, he goes to Isaiah 61. He does it um, at Nazareth and he talks about how the Spirit of God is upon him and uh, all the things the Spirit of God is calling him and anointing him to do, including preaching, proclaiming good news to the poor and binding up the brokenhearted. And I love that and it, because it talks about what the Spirit of God does. But it wasn't only for Jesus, that scripture. It's prophetic of Jesus supremely, but it's actually prophetic of all who are in Jesus as well. Because it, it then says that those who are touched by that spirit, when it goes on to say, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So who changed the world? The people who have been anointed by the spirit. The people who receive the Spirit in the way that Jesus does and who walk in that same Spirit. You know, it's changed people who change other people and places and policies and all the different things that need to be changed in the world. So what we have to offer is that we walk with God. And because we walk with God, we've got something that's going to make a difference in the world. It makes a difference in your school or in your firm. It makes a difference in your community because you can be the connection you can bring God into that situation. You can bring the kingdom in, in the context where you work. 
And it's not that arrogantly we think we've got all the answers. It's we know the one who is the answer. And I think one of the things he wants to do is, I think prophetically, he wants to give us the solutions. Like my Salvation Army friend who, who got this vision for how five pounds from the tooth fairy could end homelessness in Redbridge. See, God will give us the solutions. And, and if we know the creator, we're going to be creative. One of the things that the, some of the sociologists talk about as they look at society is they, they talk about creative minorities. So uh, an analyst or historian uh, called Arnold Toynbee, and he said, you know, you can see cultures, and the way that cultures change is because a, a minority of people, a small group, 2%, maybe that's all you need, they see creatively an answer to a problem in their society, and then the whole culture changes. So the, there's a great um, quote from a lady called Margaret Mead where she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. The world has always been changed by a few people who get it. They get the thing. And I think if we know the creator God, then we're going to have the creative solutions. The kingdom people are the creative minority on the earth. And as a result, we know the answer because we, we're in relationship with him. And he will then give us the solutions. I'm, I'm part of the um, advisory board for something called the Cinnamon Network. And they, they do a great job of replicating social projects where, where the church is doing amazing things. And they think this is a way we could multiply it and expand it across, across the country. And I heard about some fantastic ones last week. It's a lady called Tina who just realized how lonely people were in their care homes. You know, if you're in a care home, rather than living in the community, you're twice as likely to be lonely. You'd think, actually, living together in a community, in a care home, you'd, you'd be seeing people all the time. It doesn't work like that. People in care homes are twice as likely to be isolated and lonely. So she organised just for people to go in and spend time in the care homes. Absolutely transformed the quality of life for hundreds and hundreds of individuals. It's spreading like wildfire across the country. Heard about a South African church that, in a, in a situation of extreme poverty, began to discover that babies were being left on the door. And so, obviously, they took them in, they formed a home. And being quite a large church, they asked some of their nursing, nursing mothers to express a bit more milk so that the babies were getting actual breast milk as part of the love that they were receiving. At last count, that one church has seen to 108 babies adopted. That as the love is expressed, the, the solution begins to be formed and actually a long-term solution begins to come as well. And I think the Spirit of God is stirring the church up again for creative solutions. Prophecy often is where God gives us an answer to a problem that we face. And you today, you'll probably have things that you care about. And I believe that the Spirit of God wants to connect our burdens to our callings to a creative solution you know, not all of us are going to be you know, doing massive big projects some of us might find that we've got part of the piece and somebody else has got another part piece of the puzzle and we're going to have to come together with a few others and pray about it but the spirit of God is turning his church out towards the world now our task in all of this is to remember that Jesus said it's not salt that changes the world. It's salty salt.
It's not, it's not quantity, it's quality. So we need to make sure that we are salty salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose your saltiness, can you be made salty again? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And one of the ways that the local church works is it keeps us on fire spiritually. And to change the metaphor, it keeps us salty. It makes sure we've got something distinctive. We're not just social workers. We're actually kingdom of God agents who are carrying something that can change the world. And I think that's what the Spirit wants to say to us today. That he wants us, however many are here, you know, think about all the places you're going to be this week. And he wants you to know that you're carrying something. And as you face problems, some of those problems he's going to be speaking to you about creative solutions. So why don't we stand? If you want to put your stuff down, we're going to stand and we spend a bit of time in prayer. This is a really important time in our gathering because you, you don't come to church to sing and to listen. We come to church to give an offering to God and to receive back what he wants to give to us. And this is the time perhaps where he wants to give us some things. When it comes to collecting kids, somebody will come up and tell you the time has come, so don't worry. Just open yourself to the presence of God. You know, we love to adopt a posture of humility, surrender before God, because we recognize we can't do it without him. That's why we as kingdom people, we commit ourselves to act justly, to love mercy, but we commit ourselves also to walk humbly with God. Sometimes the open-handed posture is a really good one. Just open your hands and welcome whatever God wants to give. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you are birthing solutions. Thank you that you are turning the church outwards towards the world. So Holy Spirit, fall again on your people. Stir us up. We need to be reformed. We need to be renewed. need to be revived. Spirit of God, come again. need that edge. We need to be salty salt. So just let him come. Let him minister to you. Now some of us were just weary by all the busyness of life and might have lost some of our focus. Just let the Spirit remind you of why Jesus has called you. It's not just to save you, but it's it's to catch you up in the salvation of the world. You're partners with him now. And I believe as as well today, I believe there'll be a, um, a lot of you, you'll have a burden but you might not have known what to do about it. There'll be something, some issue in society. Actually, I really believe, I mentioned loneliness. I think a lot of you see that, understand that. You have a real heart for 
for those who are lonely. Maybe particularly for the elderly. Maybe God's stirring you up today. Maybe he's going to start prophetically to speak creative solutions into your life. He doesn't ask too much of you, but he will ask something that he can take, bless and multiply. Thank you, Lord. Some of you, you're, you know, your heart beats for justice issues. And they might be a bit further away, but sometimes they're really close at home. You know, it's, it is the care home, it is the school, it is the hospital, it's these places where we live and work. Thank you, Lord. Now, we'd love to bless what God is doing. Now, blessing what God is doing means if, if you already sense that the Spirit's touching you in some way, if something's coming to your mind that you, you think, yeah, I need to talk further to God about this. Or even if you've got that sense, I really want this, but I'm not sure of the next step. You know, I, don't, I, I want to be part of this, but I'm not sure where I'm to invest my time, what I'm called to pursue. And we just want to bless that. We want to pray that God would make it clear and give you what you need. The way we do it in, in our churches is uh, we just invite people as, uh, as we all stand, just come forward for prayer. So if that's you, then just come out now. Come and use this lovely space at the front. You might have to push past somebody to do that. Just come and stand at the front, and I think there'll be, there'll be a good number of people. So if you're coming forward, if you could perhaps come a little closer to the steps and create some space behind. Ministry team, those of you who know how to pray for people, if you'd like to come and just come and stand with those who are receiving prayer. Just so we know who's who, if you want to receive prayer, if you keep your hands open, we know that you're here to receive. Ministry team, just come pray for them. If there's a real sense the Spirit of God is on you, we just want to bless that. Or if you've got something specific you'd like to pray into, feel free to mention that to the prayer team. That'll help them perhaps pray, give you a word of prophecy or encouragement. We're on a journey. God wants to give us the next step in that journey. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. More of you. More of you, Jesus. Shut up. I think a lot of you, um, the Spirit of God has been speaking to our nation about mistreatment of women. You know, we, it's really, it, every time we turn on the news or um, pick up the paper, we're hearing about some other thing that's come out. And I think the Spirit of God is stirring people up to say, no, this is not acceptable, this must stop. And I think some of you, um, you've really felt that. And actually, there's part of a calling on you. To, to find some way of being part of that, to restore respect for women, to, to, re, to restore standards where abuse is not tolerated anymore. So if, that, if that's you, I just invite you today as well, just to consider maybe the, the little thing in you that says, I'm so pleased that this is being addressed finally, that actually there might be a bit of calling that God maybe have more for you in that. Just come and join us if that's you.